Okay, this is Kicking Dirt, Mike and Adam, episode eight. Eight, season two, episode eight. Man, yeah. what a year so far. April 28th, 2022. I, I, don't know, I don't even know where to start with this one, Mike. It's, uh, yeah. it's been challenging. Usually we get some ideas what we want to do in future podcasts and uh, planting conditions are trumping everything as far as what to talk about. So I think that's probably what's on growers' minds is just all the challenges we're seeing in Nebraska anyhow. And, and uh, just have a discussion about that today because a lot of other topics going on. I know. And we so we did a podcast last week and we're going to do one again because the planning topics are just keep coming up and looking around, talking to some counterparts. You know, you get southern Indiana, Illinois, that's just wet. They're talking preventative plant stuff, possibly already. You got North Dakota that was just getting wiped out in weather conditions. Um, you know, it's dry on the on the west side of Iowa and it's wet on the southeast side of Iowa. So, I mean, the planting conditions across the entire U.S. are definitely not favorable. And I guess we'll just do another podcast about that, right, in general. And we'll just see what the eastern side of Nebraska looks like. We had Chase on last week talking a little bit about the West. And today we got a couple guys to talk about the East. Yep. We have a uh, Mr. Uh, Kevin Kowalski. He's the field agronomist in uh, the Norfolk area. Kevin, you've been with Pioneer for how many years? Uh, three years now and going. So it's been, it seems like it's been short, but uh, yeah, it's been three years now. So and time's flying there. And then we have Mr. John Mick and John, what town do you reside in? Big metropolis of Carlton, Nebraska. Carlton, Milo capital of the world, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it used to be anyway, right? <laughs> it might be again if it never rains. <laughs> we got a couple really nice experts in the eastern part of the state. And, and then, of course, Adam and I are in the central part of the state. So um, we can just discuss, you know, what we're seeing out in the fields in the area and stuff this year. Yeah, I just want to go around. Let's, uh, I don't know, John, let's start with you and just see what, what things look like. Give us a quick update of what you're seeing, uh, kind of what counties you're looking at, and just uh, just a little background of what's been happening so far. Sure, sure, Adam. So so I've been with Pioneer 28, 29 years, been an agronomist. This is my 31st year as an agronomist, and that's primarily been my role with Pioneer. I've had multiple roles, but uh, most of that time been in the agronomy technical side. And I cover kind of south central to southeastern Nebraska. If you made a big rectangle, starting with Grand Island and then went southeast to approximately Beatrice, that's the area I'm looking at. Um, so I look at a lot of irrigated, a lot of dry land, a lot of variation from, from no-till, strip-till, conventional till, and ridge-till, corn and beans primarily. Um, and the conditions have been, they've gone from bad to worse in the last two weeks. We we had the first planter roll about 17 days ago. I was looking at the calendar and I sent an update to my team. And I said, you know, if customers are questioning what to do, I would encourage you to go out and plant your whatever crop it is you're going to no-till into heavy corn stalks because no-till into corn stalks is always a challenge. Uh, 17 days ago, it worked like a dream. It was the best I'd ever seen. Um, fast forward now. We've had two and a half weeks of no rain, of some warm temperatures, and a lot of wind. And even that no-till has, has gone to what I would say is disastrous stage. Many, many guys having trouble getting the planter to go into the ground. A lot of difficulty now dealing with residue that's blown around and piled up to varying degrees. So, you know, if you think conditions are bad, they, they've definitely gone to worse. And I've, I found myself telling this to multiple producers in the last two weeks. They're, 
there's so much hesitation right now on what to do because there's not a good answer. And I'm really encouraging guys to get out the door and try something because, um, you know, watching you guys farther west of me, I've enjoyed that perspective of, of we have been a little bit better off than you guys. I would say from Grand Island, Hastings West, you've been drier. So what, what you see this week, I'm going to see next week. And I've, I'm telling these guys, these conditions are getting worse. So if you're waiting for something to get better, you, you need to jump out and go now. Nobody has been able to operate with their plan A, if you will. Plan A has been abandoned by many, many guys and going back to plan B and sometimes plan C. So they just need to get started so they can, they can find out what they're dealing with. And a good example that, you know, one grower that has a lot of, um, a lot of irrigated acres, they're all strip till, got out there, found out the strips were too dry, too clotty, could not plant, was going to shift the planter over and go in between could not hold the planter between the strips, you know? So he, he had to park the planter and uh, get out a strip freshener and go to work on 2000 acres, try to fix things. So that, that's just one example of having to go from plan A to plan B. So if guys are hesitant and waiting, that's been my message is to get out there, find out what you're dealing with because everybody's having trouble. It doesn't matter if you're a strip tiller, a ridge tiller, a no tiller or a conventional tiller. Everything's got challenges right now in my area. Yeah, I, I like what you said there, John. You know, a lot of these growers today have probably not seen conditions quite this tough, you know, in planting time. And it's just important to be agile and adapt, see what works in these adverse conditions. And uh, nobody has the perfect answer. It's just let's share ideas and, and see what is kind of working in different conditions. Because from the strip till to the no till to the uh, ridge till, they all take different tools. Yeah, I had a crop consultant tell me the other day, and this was, this was hilarious. This was, I don't know, maybe 10 days ago. He goes, if it's bad now, not doing anything is not going to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. If you're waiting for Mother Nature to make this better for you right now, you're going to be waiting a long time, it looks like. And then my next concern is, how long do we wait? You know, we're knocking on May 1st coming up here. And it goes back to what you said, John, you know, the time frame. Like, if you want to go out and strip fresh in 2,000 acres or even want to run these pivots around to get good penetrating moisture. I mean, you're talking another five, six days before you can start planting again. Now all of a sudden we're knocking on, you know, the first week of May. And at what point now is time such a valuable uh, commodity that we can't get back? Yeah. You know, the, the military has a guideline or rules of, of fighting a conflict where they say you need to act when you have about a 60 or 70% certainty. And that's what we need to deal with right now. If you're waiting for 100% certainty of what what the right thing to do is you're, you're, you're going to sit on your hands too long. Um, the answers are here. They're in front of us, but they're not answers we like. You know, I've told two guys in the last two days, you need to seriously consider planting the pivot, turning the water on and abandoning your dry land acres and coming back in the end of May, middle of May, 1st of June, if and when you catch a rain. If you're waiting on rain to be able to plant a pivot with dry land corners, that is a mistake. Couldn't agree more. We've been through those same conversations and guys don't want to hear it. Well, we just plant through those corners. I'm like, ah, this year you may want to just border those out, come back, plant them later. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's not a fun choice when you have to pick between bad and worse. And, and that's where we're at. So I'm telling guys, pick the thing, pick the lesser of two evils, pick the short-term evil. Let me give you an example of that. If I have, you know, ideally I would plant a pivot. I would wait 10 days put a herbicide down and then water it and get everything going. But right now we can't do that. Okay. 30, 40% of the seed is in marginal moisture. It's going to germinate and start to die within three to four days. We can't wait 10 days to two weeks to apply a herbicide and then water. 
So the short-term pain is that I got to run a pivot right away and then maybe run it twice to incorporate herbicide. That's very short-term pain compared to, you know, waiting for something ideal, i.e. the herbicide gets applied 10 days later, and then I turn the pivot on, hey, it's too late. 20, 30% of my seed germinated and died. Now I'm living with a, a crummy stand. That's season-long pain. So I'm telling guys, go for the short-term pain type things to avoid those longer season-long type issues. Kevin, are you dealing with similar things up in the Northeast too? And you're probably just all glory up there. Everything's great up here. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, we get rains every other day, plants just going like crazy, no issues. No, I it's going to only- be a lot of redundancy <laughs> of what John just said. Um, we did have, I mean, what John was just talking about on, you know, we had a little bit of rain come through last week and it went through kind of the St. Ed, Duncan, Columbus, uh, Monroe, kind of some of those towns. And it kind of, it was a small cloud and it kind of went north, northeast. And they got anywhere from a half inch to an inch. And just like John said, I mean, those planters, we could not get in the ground before that. And wherever it rained, I mean, it is planting really, really nice. And anybody that pre-watered, you know, three to four or five days before they plant it, we're seeing a huge difference there on down pressure and the amount of down pressure that they have to use. We're actually seeing really good seed to soil contact. And it's just making a really, really good uh, seed bed where, where we had moisture in that top two inches. But where we're not, where we didn't get the rains and we didn't pre-water, I mean, we're dealing with a lot of the same issues. A lot of residue out there from the winds blowing over the hills and guys having to bale those uh, corn stalks up and getting 30 to 60 bales in some areas, you know, just from the neighbors and their own stocks that are just piling up. And so, I mean, that's been an issue before, you know, we can kind of go out there and start planting. You know, there's a little bit of moisture down um, where we did some fall tillage. There's a little bit of moisture there that they're not in such a bad scenario. But, uh, you know, if we had any spring tillage, I mean, that, that ground's pretty much dry five, six inches down. And, you know, that's where the planting seems like it's going okay. We're still planting on into that fluffy soil, I guess. But, uh, you know, probably the biggest concern, you know, when we started looking at that is, you know, getting out and digging. I mean, we're going to have to really dig behind these planters just to make sure we're getting, you know, that, that two inch planting depth. I'd even err on the deeper side, you know, two and a quarter because, you know, what soil probably consists of what, 20, 20 to 30% air. So once we do get these rains and this uh, fluffy soil kind of, kind of settles down, I mean, we're going to prep, could potentially lose some seed depth there. I know, you know, if you're really thinking about we're shallowing this up or we're not walking behind that planter, we're inch, inch and a half, and you'll lose another half inch because once it does rain or you run the pivots, we, we kind of pack that soil back down. I mean, that's, that, that's, there's a lot of things to consider there. So, but no, I mean, we're just really trying to deal with the, the dry conditions. And just like John said, the perfect scenario is the plant, wait 10 days, put your pre down with the residual um, water it in. I mean, that's kind of the the perfect, perfect thing to do, but you know, we're seeing down the bottoms where we're getting moisture and seeds starting to germinate. So you're, you're going to see some emergence down the bottoms where we do have some moisture to up to the Hills where we're not seeing the moisture. We're going to see a lot of dry pockets and seed just sitting in dry dirt. It's all kinds of issues. And, you know, I was talking to, uh, one of the pioneer reps here just the other day and we were just kind of looking at each other going there's going to be a lot of fixes we're going to have to try to do this year and you know that's that's kind of the the beauty of uh, being an agronomist i mean you get thrown in all these different types of uh, scenarios and you got to really come up with a solution and try to best solve you know maybe some of these problems that we're going to see because like you guys said i mean guys are making decisions 
Um, at least they're making a decision and they're not sitting still. I mean, that's, that's one good thing, but you know, waiting for that rain and, you know, it, it could come and hopefully this weekend we get some rain, but, um, yeah, we got to make a decision and go and, you know, hopefully we don't have too many fixes, but you know, there, there's things that we can do to, you know, as long as we can get the corn up out of the ground. I mean, usually that's probably, that's, uh, the biggest problem right there is just getting even emergence and, uh, you know, good seed to soil con- uh, contact. Yeah. So the conveniences, like what John was mentioning right off the bat, the convenience of planting, putting your herbicide down, watering it, just the convenience of what those things have given us or planting fast into easy conditions. You know, those things are all just, they've been convenient for us to do, but this year it seems like any of the conveniences are out the window. What's your, what's your guys' take on that, John? Adam, I, I'm jumping all over the, the herbicide side of things for a lot of reasons. Um, I like to point out to people, Herbicides are called crop protection products for a reason. They don't make yield and they should factor in a secondary position position on any of these decisions. If the pivot needs to run to germinate corn or beans or keep them alive, you got to do it. You, you can't wait a week for the herbicide to get laid down. So, you know, that's something I've very much been pointing out to a lot of different cooperators. It, I don't like the idea of running the pivot twice to get corn out of the ground or beans up. Uh, it's inconvenient, as you say, but I, I, I have to make the best decision. And that decision is to get the stand I need and live with a few weeds or change my herbicide program if I have to. Now, there's going to be some crop protection retailers listen to this that take issue with that. I get it. Those guys are challenged right now, too, with all the wins. I feel for them trying to get products yeah. laid down. It's, it's a tough year. Put it into uh, some economics side of this too. I don't know exactly what it costs to run three quarters of an inch across a pivot. Uh, maybe seven to nine dollars an acre today's energy costs. I would guess, I don't, yeah. You know, somewhere in there. So, so let's say nine dollars covering 130 acres, roughly. It's going to cost you almost twelve hundred dollars to run that pivot around. We know somewhere between five and ten percent yield loss with a uneven corn emergence stand somewhere in there. So let's say your potential was 300 and we'll do it on the short side and say we lose 5% right off the top. So that's 15 bushel potential that we lose in that. Let's even say it's short um, 550. Let's say corn's 550. 15 times 550, you're looking at $82 an acre on that same 130 acres. That's $10,725 potential loss for running $1,200 pivot. Adam, I, I've been throwing this number out. I threw it out to a young guy the other day who's really struggling with whether or not to turn the pivot on. This is the highest value crop anybody has ever planted. 240 bushel to the acre at $8 is over $1,900 worth of revenue. Don't mess around trying to save $8 to $10 worth of water. Take care of the crop, get a good stand. That's the factor I'm looking up. I'm an agronomist, and this is the one time in my life I very clearly am going to cover my tail because the economics are heavily on the side of making sure we get a good stand. You you think about this um, a lot, especially when you're planting on top of a strip that has 180 pounds of ammonia down there that's really hot and going to burn these seedlings. Don't mess around. Don't hesitate. Take care of the crop. You know, that's a, that's another good point. Mike, I want, I know you want to jump in on this because <laughs> I know you've had some conversations or, or wanted to ask some questions about the fertility side. So what, uh, yeah, I'm just, I just curious what everybody's got. We're, we're, we're talking about, you know, the, the yield component and getting an even stand. And, you know, that's great math on that, Adam, as far as pointing out what a 
cost to run. But, you know, even the, even the wear and tear on a planter, I mean, uh, is alleviated by running that pivot if you can do pre-water out there. So it's, it's a lot of other benefits out there that are, are come about from the watering, as well as what you talked about earlier there, John, on fertility and, and, and putting more moisture in the soil to prevent root burning. It's a, it's a heck of an advantage to have a tool like a center pivot out there. One thing on this uh, pre-watering question, Kevin's brought it up, you've brought it up. We've seen a lot of growers have to do the pre-watering thing. Here's something I would share with your audience. Um, I have one grower that that started a lot of pre-water as a way to get a planter to go into the ridge and got a little bit ahead of it. You know, the, the this pivot ran, we put down three quarters of an inch of water and we lost it all before we could get there to the planter. So he had the right plan, but with the amount of wind and low humidity we've had, it disappeared in, in a week's time before he could get there with the planter. So don't get too far ahead of that planter with the water either. No, that's great. That's a great point. And we'll bring that right back into even some of this fertility um, and surface applied nutrients like nitrogen. We actually, I've, I had a grower yesterday that we were targeting yesterday as a great day to start running some corn. We pre-watered these fields twice even. Uh, we did, actually, this grower did two uh, 60-100 passes, and we completed that Sunday. Today's Thursday, right? Actually, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they went to beans, came back. We were going to plan on starting corn. All the pivots are around. We got to the field, too dry too dry to plant corn. Uh, we did a really nice job of melting down the clods on the surface and put a nice little surface layer. Looked great from, from the road or just kind of walking around. As soon as you broke that little bit of surface crust off, it was just dry powder underneath. Um, so we, like you, your point, the winds really evaporated that out with letting any of that moisture come down. So that was not enough penetration of moisture uh, to keep it wet long enough to even create a trench. It was just fluff, again, underneath. And that brings me to the, the nutrient side. A lot of these guys are surface applying some UAN or even some urea, or, you know, we're run, say we're even running 10 gallons out of the back of a planter into that soil surface. And maybe it's wet today. It's not wet tomorrow. So when that evaporates, are we losing all that nitrogen to the atmosphere then also? Yes, a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to scare producers. I'll be honest. This is one topic I probably am a little bit of a zealot on. I, I've seen too many guys over the years lose a lot of yield because their nitrogen plan left them subject to surface volatilization. Okay. Um, there's a lot of factors involved when it's warm and when it's dry, you're going to you can evaporate 40% of that nitrogen in two weeks time. Now, higher pH, like you guys see more of in the Platte River Valley and farther west, that drives uh, urea volatilization. Any amount of moisture you can have will incorporate it. 30 hundreds, 50 hundreds with a pivot. To, if, you're, if your nitrogen plant involves laying liquid on top of the ground completely, I would absolutely run a pivot to water that in immediately. Um, unless you're using a stabilizing agent that prevents urea hydrolysis and volatilization, um, I would caution growers to really think through that plan. Now, there's some other tips and tricks. I watched a producer in central Kansas one time add 50 bushels in yield simply by eliminating a flat fan nozzle and streaming his nitrogen. And it, it, it did a better job of cutting through some of the residue and getting into the, in, into the soil. Um, you got to have soil contact to help trap that when it lays on top of a lot of residue. 
it, it's subject to more uh, volatilization losses. Yeah, and my concern even is as quickly as we're drying out, like dry, dry, the top inch and a half of soil, it, you would have to assume that the nitrogen's not sticking around either, because as that moisture is evaporated out, it has to carry that nitrogen with it, wouldn't you think? So even, I mean, we got to get the pivot around to incorporate it into the soil, definitely off the residue, but we got to get enough moisture even to carry it down to keep it moist, wouldn't you think? You got to get it into the ground. Once it's into the soil, it's going to bind. It'll be it'll be a lot more stable. I was digging a bunch of strip-till stuff that was spring strip-tilled early on, and it's just urea and sulfur prills all through that strip. Nothing broke down. I mean, it looks like it was applied yesterday. That is concerning. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm raising the alarm with strip till guys back. I made that point. It, the, the, the rules of thumb for what is safe to plant on top of with ammonia. You always talk about the rate. You're going to be safe. If you go with a lower rate, you always talk about timing. If it's applied in the fall, it's much safer than spring. You talk about the depth of placement. You talk about moisture. The two most dominant factors there would be moisture and depth. Okay. It does not matter when you applied it in the fall versus the spring in a year like this. And it really doesn't matter how much you put on. The worst strip till disaster I ever experienced was 120 pounds put on in the fall. Okay. When guys apply that in the fall, if you're using a big knife shank, um, very aggressive shank, like you're dual placing some dry, like you're talking about, Adam, if that knife slice stays open below ground, I'm talking below ground, the soil surface might be sealing. You, you didn't see any ammonia, ammonia gassing off last fall, but if it's open below ground, you injected it eight, nine, 10 inches, but there's a cavity down there. That ammonia instantly fills that cavity and it'll move all the way up in that two, three, four inches below the soil surface, however open that is. If you have any of that going on in a strip at all, you are highly, highly prone to some severe burn as soon as that kernel germinates. When I see that, number one, I'm telling them to pre-water to try and alleviate some of that. And number two, I'm not waiting to see ammonia burn symptoms. I'm going to water to prevent that because it happens immediately when that radical comes out of the seed. Now, if you don't have that wide open cavity, ammonia will move, a 200 pound rate of ammonia on a Hastings silt loam soil will move out in all directions, two to three inches. So you get this zone of about five to six inches, you know, circular, if you will, where the pH is radically affected. And that's what essentially burns this corn is that pH change. Moisture changes that back for lack of a better terms. Don't ask me to explain the chemistry, but, um, so even if you even if you trap that down at the point of injection, uh, that has not really changed because we haven't had a lot of moisture. I still anticipate seeing roots come out two, three, four inches long when they hit that band. We're going to see some signs and symptoms of, of root burn. I'm not watering ahead of time to, to eliminate that or prevent that because there's a chance of rain. There's always going to be an opportunity for rain in the next 30 days before the roots hit that. Um, so you've got this early threat where that cavity has been open, and then you've got kind of more of a, uh, a, a little bit later threat that's going to happen here in a few weeks. And again, I'm back to that. Um, this is a high value crop, strip till with ammonia below my seed. I'm going to run two heavy passes of irrigation to try and eliminate a threat or a concern. And there's no rule of thumb there. I can't tell a producer you need, you know, uh, two passes at three quarters of an inch or two passes at a half inch is sufficient. 
generally, in my experience, when I see ammonia burn happening, one pass of a pivot with three quarters of an inch is enough to alleviate it. But this is a this is a really bad year, and it's extreme with this with this drought. So I'm I'm telling guys I'd probably run twice to prevent some of that. Sure, sure sounds like this is more of a year to get out and, and do some digging in these ridge till acres and or strip till acres and see what you have down there below the surface. Absolutely. Yeah. But more so than in good years like last year, everything worked like clockwork and it was it was fine. But this year is more adverse for sure. When you were yep. talking about the fall tillage really creating clods, I, I wrote a note: if the fall tillage or the the strip till I'm lumping into this category. I, t- I told one of my guys yesterday, we really should have a field day November first, actually October 31st, and point some of these things out when guys get ready to hit the field. Things to to look for when you're out there strip tilling. Or, or doing any kind of fall tillage. Don't walk out of the field unless it's in absolute perfect shape to plant next spring. Don't create problems for yourself, right? Yeah, and the funny thing is, nine out of 10 years, I'm a big fan of fall strip tilling. I feel okay. like it's been way better than our spring, uh, more consistent, and this year, not that year. I mean, it just isn't. And, yeah, and, you, and yeah. you, usually the winter weather kind of is a band-aid. It, it fixes a lot of those issues, melts the clods, conditions the soil a little bit. Yeah, not so much this year. And and so, Kevin, up in your neck of the woods, you know, you you definitely, you got more sands, like you were mentioned, uh, sandy silt loams. Similar situation are you seeing when it comes to uh, strip till, different tillage practices, um, fertilizers? I know you guys do some some uh, surface weed and feed programs too. What's your thoughts on the whole thing? I would say probably like what John said. I mean, when I get to my southern area, kind of that Platte County, um, Boone County, that area, I mean, those are going to be our heavier soils and exactly what John's saying. I mean, that's a big, big concern for me. The guys that use a lot of anhydrous down there, um, either fall or spring, it seemed like a lot of guys maybe kind of abandoned the spring anhydrous. Um, so that that's a good thing for us, uh, considering how dry it was. But I mean, it still went on in the spring. But uh, you know, so I, I would I would agree with exactly what John said. I mean, I, there's big concerns out there on what this uh, anhydrous is going to do because you know we're not always going to be uh, have the exact perfect depth on those on those knives. I mean, you know, you might try to get it eight inches, and it might in places how, how hard this ground was, it might be four inches. And, you know, you're always going to see that. And, you know, a lot of strip till in that area too. So just like what John was saying, I mean, we've had a lot of uh, situations where some guys had to even move off that strip four inches, five inches, um, instead of planting on into that strip, uh, just because of the way the, the planter was planting and wasn't, it was just moving the planter and we weren't going, getting that uh, seed kind of straight down the road and stuff. I mean, the planter was just shifting a lot for us. So that was kind of something we had to do there. When we get into the sands, um, and it's just all kinds of different tillage. I mean, we'll have strip till, a lot of strip till, a lot of rye cover. Um, up here, where will they do strip till? Or they'll, there's actually a lot of no-till in the rye up here as well. So uh, you'll have guys that'll even work the sands, um, kind of do more of a conservation type tillage and just kind of do a field finisher on top. And, you know, so, I mean, there's all kinds of different tillage up here and, you know, fortunately in the sands, we don't have to, we don't use any anhydrous. So, I mean, that's kind of helps with that, but, you know, still with some of the starters and, you know, if we're not getting these pivots going on some of these, you know, fields, I mean, it's still kind of maybe a little bit of concern when we look at some of these uh, dry fields and, 
you know, we went as far as, you know, even on our dry land, as we go East, uh, tell guys to take the starter out and, um, especially if they were in furrow. So, I mean, there's just all kinds of different situations up here. And it's why it's kind of hard to tell guys what they should and shouldn't do. Cause every situation seems like it's a little bit different and a little bit different practice, but yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll jump in right there that we are, you're exactly right. And this is exactly what I'm seeing everywhere too. Basically we could sit here and talk for hours around all of the different scenarios and different struggles that we're having. And every field's different. Every operation's different. Um, I'll even tell you the way planners are set up is working differently. Uh, the way that uh, a row cleaner is either mounted on the bar and or the row unit is making it work different. But the big questions, let's, let's circle all of this back now and get some big questions answered, hopefully, or at least give us our, give everybody your best thoughts. Big question. Am I putting too much down pressure on the planter? Let's, let's look into these real specific planters. Good ride versus ground contact with uh, downforce. What, should anybody be worried about really what that good ride is saying versus if your seed spacing's good, your depth's good, and everything else is working well? Anybody got an answer for that one? Adam, that's a question that takes a long time to answer. I, I've spent some time with a really good precision planning rep this, some, this, this spring and asked him that very question. The problem is um, those monitors are set up to try and minimize seed spacing issues. So they will adjust down pressure in response to seed spacing issues. This is the year. I, I, I'm an advocate for that technology, but I've, I, I told more than at all my winter meetings, know what the technology is telling you. You've got to get off the planner and dig behind the planner and see what's going on. You know, Kevin mentioned it earlier, incredible amount of seed depth variation this year. That goes back to that good ride, okay? The planter units are bouncing. Um, I, you know, one of my producers threw a thing on Twitter the other day that just showed this maximum 400 pounds of down pressure across the field. It's what he had to do to get it in the ground, right? All the normals are thrown out the window. When in doubt, in a dry year, error on the side of way too much down pressure. You have got to get the seed in the ground and you've got to get it into moisture. The biggest mistake you can make is, is planning somewhat shallow and expecting a rain. I talked to an old timer last week and he said, you know, we saw this before years ago. I thought the right answer was to shallow it up. They kept talking a chance of rain, three, four days out, chance of rain. We kept shallowing up our seed depth. Those rains never came and they were not enough. He was hoping a light rain would germinate corn planted shallow. He said, I spent the next three weeks hauling tow lines around to try and get my corn out of the ground. The right thing to do was to keep it in the ground. So your big question there, Adam, on down pressure, error on the side of too much because you've got to get that in the ground at, at the right depth and you've got to get it into moisture. Yeah, you want to talk about old timers. Wardeen had a great comment here a couple of weeks ago. Is he the old planted. timer? He's the old timer. Yeah, that's <laughs> talking about old timers. But uh, back to your point on that depth piece too, in, in a year like this, uh, great comment about where where are our roots going to develop? Where's the crown of that plant going to develop? And long-term drought, the deeper you are, the more sustainable that plant is based off having all of your brace roots below soil surface. Uh, and it just makes them more efficient. If you go too shallow and we end up getting a lot of those 
secondary roots going out on the soil surface. You know, Mike brought up that point. He's seen that multiple times out here in the West. We'll fry those, the ends of those brace roots off when it hits that soil surface. And it's dry, it's hard, and it's hot. And they go nowhere. So great points. The depth, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, you're pretty much guaranteed if you're at even an inch and a half, you're probably going to hit that fifth node, ring node of roots coming out above the soil surface. And if it's really dry topsoil, uh, they will not root into dry soil. It'll just be a rootless corn. So yeah, the depth is the most important thing. You said, John, it's, it's getting it in the ground. We're not going to create any compaction in this dry soil. Don't worry about the pressure, but make sure it's in deep enough and in some moisture. And that's crazy over in your neck of the woods, John, you know, in that, especially in that Fillmore clay, you know, I don't know, you want to call it tiger shit is a good term for it. You know, usually there's only one good day a year to plant that stuff. And we're always, you know, you're always worried about compaction and, and really crusting. I don't think you could even get compaction in that stuff this year. Could you? Yes, you can. Oh. Yeah, I was just, yeah. It, never say never because um, I was in a field, uh, three different, three different producers with conventional till situations. I think Kevin mentioned, or you mentioned, Adam, we've got five, four or five inches of powder dry soil and we're listing. We have to list, throw a list or furrow to get into moisture, but there's really good moisture down there. And we actually had to, you know, pull the row cleaners up a little bit and not move all of that dry out of the way because we started finding sidewall compaction and we were smearing the soil surface. So even in a dry year like this, you got to be a little bit careful. That dreaded tiger shit soil. Otherwise known as Fillmore and Butler soil types. There's a shout <laughs> yeah. out to the guys at Dogtown, west, east of Fairmont. <laughs> oh, man. So, All right. Kevin, did you have any thoughts on that big question? Down pressure, good ride, spacing, depth. What's your two cents up in your neck of the woods? So, you know, most years we probably are a little bit harder on, you know, growers as as we see a lot of sidewall. I mean, but typically we're a lot wetter in the, in the spring because, I mean, we're coming out into some cooler soils, you know, just coming out of 45 degrees. There's usually some snow through the winter and, you know, that top six inches, top 10 inches, whatever, are usually pretty wet. And so then we kind of start complaining. We start seeing, you know, three, 400 pounds of down pressure out there. And then we start seeing sidewall compaction and, and then we get hot or dry after that. And then those just kind of become bricks out there and, you know, uh, then we usually have to turn on the pivot to kind of maybe break that up to get those roots, uh, you know, to kind of spread out. And so we just don't, you know, mohawk those roots and they just go straight down and see nutrient deficiencies. This year is a whole different uh, situation. Just like John said, I mean, this dry soil, I mean, I mean, I've seen guys breaking brackets because they're putting 400, 500, 600 pounds of down pressure out there, just trying to get that seed into the ground. And that's where I say, you know, we got to, we got to continue to dig and dig behind these planters. I mean, we can't just set the planter once and then just go. I mean, you know, you're, you're planting a quarter out there. We should be digging three to four, if not more times, just making sure everything is working right. Because, you know, I did a plot here just yesterday and one row was bouncing all over and, you know, uh, the, the down pressure springs had broke on him. And so I don't know how many acres he did before that, but I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, we checked all the rows and we saw, you know, a, an issue and it wasn't caught up until, we, you know, we did our plot and, you know, I don't, he hadn't done very many, but they would have saw, they would have seen that after, after a bit, but you know, how much damage is done and, 
you know, it's not fun when you see that one row or two rows out there and you could have maybe helped fix the situation because it wasn't planting right early. And, you know, it's, it's harder to fix those things um, when it's just one or two rows out there. Uh, but yeah, I would just like John said, err on the side of having too much down pressure. And, you know, I would even err on the side of putting on, you know, putting that seed down two and a quarter, you know, instead of that two inch, you know, make sure we're getting that seed depth, you know, down there. And just like you guys were talking about that old timer and, you know, I think Wardeen might have a birthday coming up here in the next day or two, or he, he might old timer after this, uh, this one. So, uh, but yeah, the old timers, you know, if they say shallow that up, I mean, that's the worst thing you can do. I mean, you see your biggest temperature fluctuation in that top inch, um, especially up here in the sands. Um, that's where we got to go that two, two and a half inch mark and just get that consistent soil temperature, uh, you see a lot more consistent soil moisture. And, you know, we, we kind of talked about this two, three weeks ago on, you know, how much, how much water do you need to percolate down to get to that two, three inch. And, you know, I think Chase. Oh, oh I think, I think, I, I think I know the answer to this. I think, I think I know the answer. I think it's 30%, 30, 30% of, of your seed weight on corn and 50% of your seed weight on beans. Right. There's, there's a yep. fun fact. <laughs> that is a fun fact yes. right there. Nailed it. I remember reading that somewhere. I, I forget who <laughs> sent that out. But. Yeah. So, and that's the other, the other thing. Seed size plays into that, right? Uh, yeah. Seed coat, all those things on moisture absorption. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're right on. But don't we want to see the corn come out of the ground faster? You know, so if we plant it shallower, don't we, isn't that a better option? Nope. No, I mean you're gonna see more. You see more. Yeah, Kevin, no explanation needed. John nailed it. It's just no, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you know what? This year or most springs, you know, it, it's kind of a race. Guys get in the field, they get their planter going. How quickly can I get my seed in the ground, and how quickly can I be done planting? Uh, you guys got undoubtedly got to see the planters moving a lot slower this spring, aren't you? Out in the fields, uh, on purpose or or whatever yeah. but the, the speed's got to be reduced by quite a bit just to make it make it a good job right i don't, I don't know how to answer that one that everything's been slowed down because they got to climb off the planter and readjust they got to shut down the planter to go turn a pivot on you know those kind of issues but speed can help move residue out of the way um, slowing down on the other hand can help a planter penetrate that's just one little trick there if guys haven't realized that if you're having trouble getting that planter to go into the soil um, slow it down and you will do a better job of maybe improving penetration with the planter and getting seed depth more consistent. We were talking about residue somewhere in here. Is there a concern? I'm, we can't move much residue out of the, okay. We talked about blowing residue, right? Uneven residue across a lot of these fields and we're slicing through them and the seeds getting in the ground but is there any research or concerns or what do we do with those piles of residue? The, just the mass amount of residue on surfaces that didn't break down. Is there, are we concerned about that? Are we not? Not if I, not if I could plant through it. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the big problem is trying to get a planter to go through it, Adam. Um, and, and there's a lot of guys getting frustrated. I, I, like Kevin mentioned, Heard of a guy rolled up a bunch of hay bales and wanted to deliver them back to the neighbor who vertical tilled. Um, that's one solution. Uh, you know, it's not a perfect year, but don't laugh at that. 
If you got to go out there and bail along the ends to make it plannable, I've seen that before. It works. Another solution, a guy pulled out a disc and started disking on, on the ends to try and deal with it. That's not a solution for a whole field. Uh, but if you're going to disc once, this guy ended up going five times. You're going to disc five times in the spring, right? It's going to fluff it up. It makes it a nightmare. The preferred solution that I've seen work more often is to set your planning depth deeper and pull your residue movers up. Rather than move it out of the way, try to slice through it if that's possible. And I know some of these piles are so big, you possibly, you really just can't even do that. Gosh, this uh, is such a doom and gloom <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> but we went from bare dirt to six to 10 inches of residue piled up where the stalks are standing and it's all in the same row. And, you know, a drill's not going to do that, any job on that. You're going to have to go back to plant where you had some tools to handle that residue and cut through that because that's just going to be adapting and modifying for what we're given this year. Those uh, stock stumpers or whatever you want to call them in front of every wheel and every tractor, every planter, every machine out there, because yeah, I, I get it. Those stocks are really tough on, on uh, your tires. And when we're strip tilling corn on corn, you know, we're always moving off. So we're running right over those rows. So we're mm -hmm. always going to have flat. I, I don't know any way around that. So you should probably just make them all flat. I mean, that's the thing. Like either they either all need to be standing or they all need to be flat or something needs to be more uniform. Cause right now the, it's so ununiform that I don't even know what to do. I mean, it's just, it, it's part, it's part of what we're going through this year, but I don't know. We need to get off the doom and glooms. This is just frustrating me even. So Kevin, you seeing the same thing too? I mean, you, you have an interesting situation. I mean, it's not unique out there. I mean, there's, you know, I know we were planting some beans or I was talking to a grower here, planting some beans uh, just here two days ago, running into that same situation where there's trash about six to seven, eight inches deep. And, you know, what do we do? And in a large part of the field, it was just kind of that edge where it all kind of blew in and you know, we tried to do our best and moving that trash out and getting that, you know, this was soybeans too that we were planting. So, I mean, we can, soybeans can be a little more forgiving there, but still, I mean, we're, the trash out here, we didn't have anything, any of these stocks really disintegrate over the winter. There was no moisture. There was nothing out there. So some guys are trying to work it. Um, I mean, it's still too much trash to even work up. So, you know, kind of the best thing is, you know, what we found is just taking that residue off and kind of bailing it. I mean, that's kind of the, if it's that much, you know, if it's eight to 10 inches deep, you're not going to move it. You know, if you do move it, it's going to blow right back in. And that could potentially cause some issues too. If you have six inches of residue and you know, have corn or beans trying to push through that. So, but as of right now, I mean, where there is just a little bit of residue, I mean, with how dry it is, I mean, th these planters are just blowing these stocks up, you know, and we're, it's actually the the no-till is actually, if you can get the planter in the ground, it is working really, really well. Cool thing about agriculture is every year you can find similarities, but you're never going to find the exact same situation. I say this all the time. There is no free education, none. Everything comes with a cost. Learning comes with a cost. This year, hopefully though, that the education cost isn't too high, but it costs to learn. And uh, we, we got some good learning opportunities. Kevin? How about some final thoughts before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I guess I, I'd go with some positives here. I mean, kind of what you just said about education. I mean, we all don't need PhDs out here. I mean, there's, everybody can is capable of growing a good crop. We're just, 
I go back to the basics. What, what does a plant need to grow? One, you need population. And so that's what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to establish a stand of corn out there. And, you know, I think you guys talked a little bit about economics. Um, you know, what's that one, what's 1000 plants more per acre going to gain you? And I look at, you know, plot data on this. I mean, 1000 plants will, will create 7.8 bushels per average. So, you know, to spend that pivot again, to spend, you know, what you're saying, $9 an acre. We, I don't want to save, 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 because, you know, saving all this money, it doesn't really help us get ahead, right? You know, we have to spend a little bit of money to try to raise a good crop of corn. And that's, you know, like I said, so the first part is population, getting that stand establishment, you know, then we have to have that fertility plan. And I think we all are really dialed in really, really well with fertility, especially with hopefully everybody got to to one of those uh, winter conferences with granular where we, where we talked a lot of fertility. Um, and then, you know, just, just the plant health and everything else that, that goes through the growing season. I mean, we can still have a really, really good crop out here. I know we're a little negative on this call today, but you know, just looking at the positives, I mean, if we get a good stand of corn, we can fix some issues here and there, but you know, like I said, I mean, we're all capable of growing some really good corn still this year and, you know, this is going to be the most profitable crop that we probably might ever raise. I mean, at seven to $8 corn, I mean, I heard on the radio, some analysts are even calling for $10 corn. I mean, if that happens, that's, this is crazy, but I mean, so that's where don't be afraid to, you know, spend a little extra on some irrigation, know what's important. You know, I, I know I hear a lot of these little micros and um, different juices out there guys are selling. I mean, we don't really need those. We need to, what we need is the basics and we can grow a really good crop if we get back and just grow corn, right. And beans. Yeah. So that's my, that's my final thought. Um, I, I loved what you just called them too. I haven't heard that in a while. All kinds of other juices, John, let's, let's, let's hear your final thoughts. I would, I would echo what Kevin has just said. Remember in a dry year, you produce the most yield under irrigation under irrigation, the highest yields come in the driest years when we have to pump the most water. So keep that in mind. And the final thought I would give producers, when you're faced with some really bad decisions you got to make, pick the one that's going to give you the short-term, you know, the short-term negative, not the long-term. Plan a little bit deeper that you don't like. You lose a few plants that don't come up. That's way better scenario than planning where you want to plant and end up with a really bad stand, you know? abandon the drill that you really want to use and go to the planter, but at least you'll get a stand, you know? So pick the one that's more short, short term rather than long term. That's the best we can do today. Those, those are all really good points. I would just, I guess, call out fertilizer management though, from here on out is important still, I think in season, a lot of us, you know, to the West do a lot of post-application fertilizing monitor your nitrogen usage, monitor your nitrogen movement, and then think about other nutrients too that may be, oh, how do, you, how do you want to put it, less soluble even in the soil with the absence of a lot of available moisture. Uh, we may have to look at different application methods throughout the year to bring in nutrients that, that could be less available due to minimal moisture. And I don't know, if you think about it, is some of the bad situations that we're in there are other people in worse situations even. And I think that's something that has to keep us going is that we still are at a time frame here that we're in an optimal window that we can still plant. 
and we can still raise really good corn, probably planting still over the next 10 days, maybe 14 days, still in an optimal time frame, possibly, you know, and other people aren't in that situation. Positive attitude moving forward. I think we're all still in a good place, even though it's dry, to really raise a great crop. We're not out of anything yet. So do it right. Take the extra day or two that you need to to do it right now instead of rushing it to be done and not do it right. Short-term headache, John. That's a great way to look at it. Mike, wrap this baby up. Yep, I agree. I, I think this is probably the year where you take a little more time to do it right. Um, and and uh, not the calendar is important, but not as important as doing it right this year. Um, but you know how bad it hurts me? Because that May 5th is my deadline. I know it is. I know it May is. May 5th. 5th. Damn it. If we're not done by May 5th, <laughs> we shouldn't even be started. But no, I, we can continue to go after that. You're right. Keep going. Yep. No, I, I just... I was going to reiterate on that. Just take your time and make sure the the planting time mistakes aren't showing up all year long. Uh, do your best to minimize those and and get it get the good stand the, as good a stand as you can this year. It's the most important thing you can do right now. Well, this is kicking dirt with Mike and Adam. Hey, John, Kevin, thank you guys for being on the call. Hopefully, you guys had a good time. It's always a blast listening to everybody else's perspective and just get a wider scope of what's happening. So appreciate your time this morning. Again, April 28th for time reference. Mike, you always love doing this. What episode is it? This is season two, episode number eight. Take Bye. care. Thanks, everybody.